0: Hey, everybody, your buddy Basil here. And this is Gons. And you're listening to the Canary Cry Radio pre intro intro. You knew I was going to say that, mister. And uh, so we got a couple things to talk about before we get into this interview. And it yeah. is awesome. awesome. So. So we're gonna make this short. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who are supporting Canary Cry Radio on a monthly basis of fifteen dollars or more, you can uh, you're going to be receiving the USB Archive Project, which is all of the one. Well, there's one hundred episodes of Canary Cry Radio. There's what around twenty flybys, and there's all the art, and there's a, a musical album, and some other fun stuff, and it all comes on a metal apocalypse proof credit card sized USB drive. But there's a there's a problem. Some of you didn't put your address in when you were signing up. Oh. So, you gotta check and see, go to your PayPal and see if you gave us your address. And if you haven't, you can probably fill it in there, but it's a little easier if you just email it to us. So, email us your uh, shipping address so we can ship that to you because the Holy Spirit has not yet Given me the special revelation of your address.
1: You're not praying enough, man.
0: I know. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta pray sin. Um, so there you go. Okay. Uh, on top of that, thanks everybody for leaving iTunes reviews. That's really, really helpful. Uh, but I'm looking at our numbers here and it shows that there's quite a few of you out there who have not left iTunes ratings or reviews. So I would consider it a personal favor to Gonz and I if everybody would go to iTunes right now. Go to Canary Cry Radio and leave a rating with some stars and a review with some words and that really helps the uh the iTunes robots kind of show other people that the show exists and yeah, that's I mean, great. You
1: know, and you don't have to be an iTunes user to go leave a review on iTunes. That's you can true. be the- listening to us through Stitcher and or, you know, some other thing.
0: That is a common misconception. Yeah. You don't have to be listening to us on iTunes. But so anyways, there you go. And You know what? If you haven't shared an episode of Canary Cry Radio with a friend lately, you should do that. Because, you know, talking to friends is fun. And listening to Canary Cry Radio is fun. So that's like putting ketchup on your ice cream. It's delicious. It's a thing. What? Yep. Moving on. (laughs) No, 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 no. Nope. We're moving on. So. What? What else do we have to talk about here?
1: Ketchup on ice cream.
0: Uh huh. So, Face like the sun YouTube channel. Go check it out. It's awesome. Is that like, awesome. Uh, is,
1: did something happened when you were a, a kid or something? And you're like,
0: it's a, some people out there will get the reference, and you obviously oh, okay. do I, not. I, so that's not obviously important. Obviously,
1: do not at all. You're
0: not part of the cool kid club. But uh, well, I can. I can make some references. From, from Florida, she gets the reference.
1: Yeah. Uh huh.
0: Okay. So on top of that, make sure to check out the Joyspiracy theory. It's my new podcast on iTunes as well, and it's super fun. And we've got all your favorite fringe Christian conspiracy prophecy folk talking about you know how what just life, what it is like to live and continue <laughs> living and be happy and not not I don't know do something hurtful to others or yourself because of all the bummer uh, things in the world. So go check that out. The Joyspiracy Theory dot com, it's fun.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, what else? Well, that it. There's yeah. a few. There's a few more USB drives. So now's the time to jump on the train. If you go to canarycryradio dot com slash support, uh, you'll see a, a button there. You can sign up to support. Canary Cry Radio because you love it so much or, you know, the, the Lord's kind of just been putting it on your heart to support some of the content you listen to or support some of the ministries that that touch your life. And uh, if you want to do that, you can do that at the support tab on canarycryradio.com. And if you do it for $15 a month or more, you get an awesome USB drive, which I described a little bit earlier. <sighs> and make sure to leave your address. Mm. Yep. And if you don't send us your address, we'll just consider it a a nice gift. <laughs> so there you go people. Uh thank you again for all your support. It's yes. it's wonderful, wonderful and we're so grateful and it's honestly the only reason that Canary Cry Radio is even able to keep going. Not only because of expenses, but just because, you know, I mean, mostly expenses, <laughs> but also just because it's 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 hard keeping a show going for 4 years. 4 years now we've been going and it it certainly feels like more. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not only does it feel like more, but it feels like we should have a lot more episodes in four years than yeah, 105. Yeah, that's
2: All right. Okay, well, let's get into the episode. And the whole earth was of one language, and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to. Let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do.
1: Listening
0: to Canary Cry Radio. Hey everyone, and welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name's Basil.
1: And this is Gans. Welcome to episode number 105.
0: 105.
1: We hear lots of exposes on the Illuminati, Yale's Skull and Bones, the Bilderberg Group, and other nefarious organizations. But what do they have to do with Bible prophecy? And Did God place codes in the Bible to be unlocked only in the end times? And are we in those times now? Our guests today are the authors of the book, The Babylon Code, Solving the Bible's Greatest End Times Mystery. First, we have Paul McGuire. He's an internationally recognized Bible prophecy expert and regular commentator on places like Fox News, CNN, and the History Channel. He is the host of God TV Prophecy Television Show. He's the best-selling author of a prophecy of the future of america and the day the dollar died he's a professor of eschatology at dr jack hayford's the king's university and is the host of the paul mcguire show and he's got so many things going on and so many accolades it's tough to list them all what's up paul how you doing buddy
3: hey guns basil how you guys doing doing great man thanks for coming on the show it's great to be on your program, and I loved your introduction.
1: Cool. And then, <laughs> and then uh, we also have Troy Anderson. He's a Pulitzer Prize-nominated investigative journalist, author, and speaker, and the editor of Charisma Magazine and Charisma Media, which is one of the nation's largest Christian media outlets with over 5 million readers. Uh, he spent two decades as a reporter, bureau chief, editorial writer, and editor at the LA Daily News, the Press Enterprise, and other newspapers. He's written for Reuters, Newsmax, National Wildlife, Christianity Today, Charisma, Human Events, Watchdog.org, and many, many other outlets. And similar to Paul, he's got way too many accolades for us to read off here. So we're just going to say what's up. Troy, how you doing, buddy?
4: Hey, uh, Gons and Basil, uh, thanks for bringing me on here.
0: You betcha. You know, you guys guys might be the fanciest guys we've ever had on here. You got some big names there on your bios well
3: that uh, that's good we we feel honored <laughs> uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, you know it's like selective honoring we, we we're glad that you honor us, but we could get tomatoes thrown at us depending upon what crowd we were standing in front of.
0: I was going to say you know that happens a, a little too often, I think, to all of us involved here, but um again, thanks for coming on the show now, your new book is. The Babylon Code: Solving the Bible's Greatest End Times Mystery. The Bible's greatest end times mystery. That is, that is quite a, quite a lofty uh, title. There, is it really the greatest one? Uh,
3: I think we would be guilty of lying if we <laughs> definitively said it is the greatest uh, mystery in the Bible. And plus, it would probably be. Insulting or blasphemous to God, because because uh, we all know why. I mean, mean, God's infinite, so there's got to be infinite mysteries in the Bible that we just don't understand. But (laughs) um, without with with the risk of sounding promoting, but there's no other way to say it. We we believe that we have uncovered a mystery uh, that goes back to mystery Babylon, and as you said in the introduction. It interfaces with um, an area that that unfortunately a lot of people that are into Bible prophecy and unfortunately a lot of Christians um, um, can't seem to uh, uh, accept the reality of, and that is what some people would call, I don't call it that, uh, conspiracy theories or secret societies. And I think because of the prejudice that people have uh, or perhaps better said, the, the the indoctrinated prejudice that people have uh, towards the reality of secret societies and conspiracy theories, they have been unable to grasp huge amounts of information that is totally important to understanding Bible prophecy. So in, in that respect, we feel like we've cracked a code. And uh, going back to whether we would stand before an audience of people throwing tomatoes at us or, or applause, um, I think in, in God's timing we're, we're able. Troy and I have been able to come out with this message this year. I think if we tried to come out with this message five years ago, or ten years ago, or certainly twenty years ago, we would have been having uh, tomatoes thrown at us because the, the the bias the intellectual bias against the reality of conspiracy theories has been up uh, up until recently so great that people couldn't perceive the truth right
0: that's a good point i mean i think we're really in a in a time right now where that it's ripe for uh, revealing some of these big mysteries and i i thank god for that timing um now both of you have it seems like you've been really involved in uh whether it be current events or prophecy or or Bible uh scholarship in whatever way you want you want to take that. Um is this something that comes out of uh the experience that you've had or are you is this something that you saw growing? And we'll get into it here in a second, but I, I kinda wanna get a little bit of a background on, on what brought this to be
3: well i 'll let Troy answer uh, for himself. I mean he has a um, he'll probably just int- uh, uh, introduce it briefly, but he has actually uh, a very famous ancestor that he'll he'll tell you about that Ooh. that probably caused an epiphany for him <clears throat> and and for myself, you know um, I began this research decades ago and um everything that we're writing about in the book when it comes to like something that would be called a conspiracy theory or even the, the 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 area of bible prophecy i didn't believe any of it i was a huge skeptic in fact i scoffed at it and ridiculed and mocked it and and actually began researching it and and investigating it uh, because i believed it was a bunch of baloney and i i figured when i had the facts i would prove it was a bunch of baloney but the more i delved in and the more i got the facts um, i realized i had 100% proof for what we're claiming in the book the babylon code and that there, that there are powerful conspiracies that are luciferian in nature and uh satanic conspiracies if you will and they have everything to do with bible prophecy
0: and Troy?
4: uh yeah so the the way uh you know i came uh, to write you know co-write this book is i, I guess uh, when when i was young uh, my grandmother Told me about uh, uh, my uh, great great, I think it's like four, four or five great grandfathers, uh, Frederick von Schiller. He wrote the poem Ode to Joy that made yeah. Beethoven's Night Symphony. and wow. Wrote some famous plays, including uh, Don Carlos, that George Lucas cited as an inspiration for Star Wars. Oh. Anyway, smokes. So when I was young, she, she told me you know, all about him and, and uh, told me that there was a mystery surrounding his death. And here several years ago, a reporter at the L.A. Daily, and she told me to follow in his footsteps and become a writer. So, um, you know, I ended up becoming a journalist. So here here a few years ago, a reporter at the L.A. Daily News, and I was doing a story on the controversy surrounding the Wagner Ring Festival. And this opera source had mentioned Schiller, and she said it's the 250th anniversary of his uh, birth. And so I, you know, Googled and and uh, ran across this stuff talking about this, you know, supposedly the Bavarian Illuminati had, had poisoned him, you know, over 200 years ago when he was wow. writing, hmm, writing a play to expose their plans. Whoa. And I ran across uh, Paul's website and, uh, you know, he'd done all this research on Bible prophecy and, and conspiracies and secret societies. And, and I went to this prophecy conference and hear him, hear him spoke. And that's that's sort of how we came together about six years ago. And from there... I launched this this whole investigation into, you know, is are are we in the run up to the end times, you know, global super state and cashless society and religious system predicted in the Bible, and that's what the the Babylon Code delves into.
0: That is awesome. I mean, that's that's an amazing uh, story about your ancestry there. So you you've had a conspiracy in your bloodline there for a while, and it's no <laughs> surprise that you found your way here. So now there's been a lot of books about biblical prophecy concerning the end times. I mean, many famous, uh, well, well-known authors of those books have been on this program as well. And so I'm a little curious as to what, uh, sets this one apart. Uh, obviously both of you are very accomplished writers and, and, uh, you know, commenters and, and personalities in your own right. Um, so how did, uh, I mean, I guess start from the beginning. What is, what is the Babylon Code?
3: Well, I think what sets this book apart from um, um, a vast majority of, of the books on Bible prophecy is that uh, we are probably the first people to have written a book which integrates Bible prophecy uh, with conspiracy theories and the reality of secret societies. It's not that there haven't been other people that haven't written on either of those topics, because there have been. But this is the first hard-hitting, very well-documented book. I mean, Troy, my co-author that you just heard from, is a Pulitzer Prize-nominated journalist. So the documentation on this is is really intense. And we're the the first people out of the gate uh, in terms of timing— to break into a mainstream uh, market with a book which integrates Bible prophecy with with conspiracy theories. I don't think that's ever—it has not ever happened before to the degree, this book. And right now, uh, The Babylon Code is the number one uh, selling prophecy book in the world, according to Amazon. And that's because— uh, what we're saying, I mean, we've got tons of documentation how the, the Babylon Code and secret societies began with the Tower of Babel and uh, what we call a uh, cult technology, like the Tower of Babel being an, an interdimensional portal, a stargate. Um, this has never really been put forth. Uh, the, the two. Uh, Bible prophecy genre and the conspiracy theory genre has never been uh, um, put together before. And, you know, there's still a lot of, uh, sadly to say, there's still a lot of people that, that are interested in Bible prophecy that still don't get the reality that uh, the conspiracy theories that we're talking about um, are true. Like like you probably guys probably know hosting your program, and we deal with this in the book, The Babylon Code, it should, be, it should be knowledge to anybody who's half, halfway educated right. that, you know, our, our monetary system is built on a complete illusion. The Federal Reserve is not federal, as you guys know. It's an international banking cartel, and the way our money system works is they print money from absolutely nothing and loan it to the U.S. government or the taxpayer for interest. Now, I know you guys know that, but the average person doesn't know that. That's true. And, and tragically, the average person in a, in a church, uh, when, you, when you say that to them, you know, they, they give you that glazed over look in the eyes like a deer caught in the headlights. Um, but I always say when we're speaking, turn over the back of, of the dollar. Uh, you know, it says in God we trust on the front of the dollar, but on the back of the dollar— you got an Illuminati Pyramid, an all-seeing eye of Lucifer, the words in Latin, Nuvos Order Seclorum, or New Order of the Ages, or New World Order. And on the right-hand side, on the back of the dollar, you have not an eagle, <clears throat> you have a phoenix, which is a legendary occult bird that symbolizes uh, the the rise and fall of the New World Order. Right. Well, Well, if conspiracy theories aren't true, and if secret societies aren't true, then why do we have countless occult symbols and numbers in the back of the U.S. dollar. Our monetary system, as as perfectly explained by the visuals on the dollar, is an occultic system developed by a secret society. And then when you connect that with the fact that the Bible talks about in the last days there'll be a one-world government, one-world religion, and one world economic system headed up by an antichrist and false prophet, hopefully the lights will get turned on in some of these people's brains where the lights are out, and they'll understand that that God, God has an insight into things that's far deeper than, than that they uh, may have known. And hopefully we can help them understand that and what it means for their lives. Yeah. yeah.
0: The guns?
1: Well, I was just going to say, you know, I feel like you guys are... Tiptoeing a fine line between reaching out to, you know, your average Christian that may or may not know these things, but also uh, the large community of conspiracy theory, uh, you know, truthers, as you call it, who understand that there is a conspiracy, who understand that there are nefarious organizations and that the entire financial system is corrupt and everything like that. But they're missing that piece of God and of prophecy and, and these elements that the Bible actually predicted thousands of years ago that these things were going to happen. And I almost feel like sometimes there's a little bit of a cognitive dissonance there. We talk to people who are, you know, maybe more atheistic in their worldview, but they're like down with the new world order. Well, you know, you you understand that there's Satan is running the world, but you don't believe that there's a Satan or a God. So I, I don't understand what your solution is. And a lot of times, you know, it seems to be uh, something that would perpetuate the violence and, and sort of the, the problems we're having now, you know, let's take down the, the system, let's go after them, that kind of thing. So I feel like you guys are reaching out to both sides of the, 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 the world of conspiracy that needs God, but also the Christians who need to wake up a little bit more to, you know, what's happening around them. Um, but, you know, in terms of some of these ideas that, uh, you know, I think, you guys might be the first to bring him mainstream and and that's really cool
0: because I think that's the biggest one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because that, that is really important. And there are so many people in the mainstream that are just walking through life without a clue about what's actually going on. Um, But I think, you know, in terms of what I've seen in the last few years, I'm sure you guys have seen this too. It's been kind of encouraging to see people wake up because there are a lot of people waking up, a lot of Christians waking up, things like that. A lot of people who, maybe grew up a little more lukewarm or walked away from the Bible, come back to
0: it. Or just sort of a cultural Christianity. Yeah,
1: just, right. yeah, exactly. Um, but have you guys, have you guys noticed that there was, there's at least some sort of an awakening happening in within, you know, uh, the community of people that, that you're reaching?
3: Well, yeah. Um, um, two things we've noticed. One is that there is that huge, uh, number of people out there, especially driven by the internet, and many of these people, not all of them, but many of these people would belong to what I would call younger generations, and they may be uh, people that walked away or rejected Christianity because they were turned off by it, or they 're just alienated by Christianity, and I can understand why and um, but but at least they understand uh, that there 's a new world order that 's not a fantasy it's it 's a truth at least they understand. Uh, you know, about the Federal Reserve and Skull and Bones and the Bohemian Grove. And uh, these things aren't, you know, conspiracy theories. They're facts. So when they read our book, The Babylon Code, you know, we're getting, uh, we got an email from a, a, an atheist the other day uh, who, you know, obviously did not believe in God and certainly didn't believe in Christianity, but read our book and accepted Christ. And what, what, Connected with him as we dealt with, you know, nitty gritty reality. But you're right; we walk a fine line. But but also, you're right that um, because of the internet, because of uh, uh, radio programs like yours, um, there are there's never been more people who are starting to wake up. Uh, we believe than ever before in human history. So it's our prayer, and and we believe God's timing has been essential in this book. That we present the the message of the Babylon code now because there's never been more people open to the message. And that's why we're also going to do a major feature film with it, because there's a huge paradigm shift in people's consciousness, you know, uh, 15 years ago. People would have called uh, you know our discussion that we're having now as like crazy talk or you know we wear tinfoil hats or something sure right but but there's a huge shift out there. There's a lot of smart people of all ages that that recognize that these aren't conspiracy theories, they're facts sure
0: the- that's right. And yeah, like I said, you know, reaching, or like Gans was saying, reaching the mainstream and the sort of, quote, normal Christian is is an especially, uh, you know, a big achievement for a, a book like this. Because, you know, there there have been books that have presented similar material, and, and a lot of our listeners will be familiar with most of the concepts, uh, uh, I think, probably, in the book. Um, So you're in good company, as I say. So now, as far as the Babylon Code, the book itself, you mentioned that secret societies began at the Tower of Babel. Now, in a practical sense, what does that look like?
3: Well, in a practical sense, as you guys probably know, and probably many of your listeners know, um, the Tower of Babel was, in Genesis, was the first account um, and God, I always emphasize the fact that God wrote about the Tower of Babel in the Bible, um, not because he was bored. He was giving the human race a heads up of what's happening now in our lifetime. But going all the way back to Genesis with with ancient Babylon, the Tower of Babel, and Nimrod, who was the kind of the leader of the Tower of Babel, it was the world's first one-world economic system, one-world religion. And one world government, and you all know the end of the story. God looked down from heaven and judged the world's first one world government, one world religion, and one world economic system, because He could see into man's hearts, and He could see that really they wanted to create the new world order is really a counterfeit of the kingdom of God. So they wanted to create a new world order or a global society. But they wanted to kick God out of the world that he created. So it was Luciferian in nature, and God judged it. But the reason God put it in there is because it's a warning to us. And as you know and your listeners know, you know there's talk about the reality of, a, of a, an, an, an emerging one-world economic system, one-world government, and one-world religion. You read about it in the so-called mainstream press just about every week. So this, this Babylon is rising again in our lifetime, and the, the rise of Babylon in our lifetime, which was warned about in the book of Genesis, um, is a powerful prophetic uh, sign that we're in the end times, because when you read the book of Revelation, uh, Babylon, mystery Babylon, doesn't return until the end times. So we're deep in the end times. Right.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, you know, one of the issues with the Tower of Babel specifically you had mentioned was that it's a gateway or a portal to uh, alternate dimensions or, you know, in the case of Genesis 11, you look at it and it talks about um, the tops of the towers reaching into heaven. And the other part of it is that uh, verse 6 where it talks about nothing that they plan to do will be impossible for them, which gives them, you know, the, the people that were building Babel, it sounds like God was saying, you know, if they achieve this, they will crack some sort of, you know, or harness some sort of power over creation in some sense, yeah. uh, which is very interesting when you start looking into that. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating to consider that even back then they had, whatever technology or whatever knowledge, secret knowledge that, you know, in theory for my theory, I think that was passed down from, um, you know, the pre-flood era, the antediluvian world uh, that was passed down into that time. And then somebody got the information. I believe Nimrod became a Gaborim somehow, which uh, speaks into, you know, the Nephilim concept and everything. But uh, how how do you piece that together? All the the areas there. and, And how did you come to the conclusion that, the Tower of Babel was some sort of portal or gateway.
3: Well, I'll let Troy uh, comment on this also. Uh, just initially, I'll throw this out. Um, when when you look at the, the Tower of Babel, um, it, it was designed as a, an astrological worship tower to, to worship the host of heaven, which not only meant the stars, etc., but uh, made reference to the uh, worship of fallen angels or interdimensional beings. And then, um, the the other purpose of the Tower of Babel was that when the people began to worship in this occultic worship ceremony at the Tower of Babel, uh, their worship uh, literally opened up an interdimensional portal That allowed for the or Stargate, uh, which allowed for the entrance of interdimensional beings to come into the Earth, or uh, uh, demons or demonic entities. And I had this lady, I guess about two weeks ago, I was speaking at a Bible prophecy conference, and some really hyper-religious lady uh, and her husband uh she 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 met me at my book table where i i I mentioned this concept on on the back of one of my books um and she went berserk on me you know how dare I say that the Tower of Babel was an interdimensional portal and she went completely berserk and but besides <laughs> besides that oh, man. Um, so you uh, actually got
1: tomatoes thrown at you
3: yeah yeah right well i actually I thought you know like but i don't know what i thought but but the thing is uh um, The the interdimensional portal allows for—what I said to her is, she said, well, how can you say that? I said, because if you you, uh, translate the word um, uh, Tower of Babel or Babylon, um, if you translate it from its literal meaning in its original language, it literally means gate of the gods. So right in the very translation of the word Babylon or Tower of Babel, it literally means gate of the gods. Well, what does that mean? It's a gate. It's it's a gate or an entranceway. It's a it's a portal. It's a doorway uh, from one dimension into another. It's a gate by which, uh, when you participate in occultic worship, these interdimensional uh, beings, which would be demonic entities, enter the earth. So it's 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 a in a sense a time travel portal. It's and and this and we deal with this in the book a lot the babylon code uh because Troy and I are convinced that uh the bible is filled with references to what we call a cult technology or some people call a fallen angel technology and as one of you just said uh this technology was uh developed by uh, uh super beings in the pre pre-flood uh civilizations
0: now <laughs> I want to I want to hear from Troy as well. But how do you communicate this to a mainstream or a, even a mainstream Christian audience? I mean, we have our listeners now are are right on board, <laughs> but to a, a regular you know audience that that's got to be just cuckoo bananas. It is and I, I am, I'm going to let
3: Troy respond because we make a good team because because I believe in the um um the concept of take no prisoners full speed ahead uh you know have your facts uh ready and don't apologize no retreat no surrender right and I really don't care what you think I'm going to be polite and gracious but here's the truth deal with it right and uh, then, thank God, uh, Troy has a different temperament.
0: Uh, uh, he's <laughs> Sounds more like soft-spoken. a familiar he's dynamic.
3: Making, yeah, he's he, he 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 gives more of a documentation. So we make a good team. So Troy, I'll let you respond on how we deal with that with people we speak to.
4: Yeah. So the the way I you know you, you mentioned earlier about you know taking this kind of information into the mainstream. In fact, I, I told Paul. When we're writing the book, that we would go to mainstream conspiracy theories. We're going to bring this into the mainstream. That's sort of the idea here. So when I when I explain what the Babylon Code is about, I I say that you know it, it involves a prophetic mystery in the Bible that begins with the Tower of Babel and the story of Nimrod. And you know Nimrod's an archetype in the Antichrist. You know as Paul explained, you know he's the the leader of this first world government and economic system religion. And then Babylon plays a central role in the books of the prophets, you know, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And then it reemerges in Revelation as mystery Babylon and Babylon the Great. And, uh, this this might be surprising to some people, but it's it's the second most mentioned city in the Bible besides uh, Jerusalem. So, so Babylon plays a central theme throughout the Bible. Uh, you know, of course, Jerusalem is a city of God. Babylon is sort of like the city of Satan. And... Um, and there's the, the, the interesting thing about what Paul was talking about is this—you know—is it—is it some was the Tower of Babel some kind of occult technology, early ancient occult technology? Of course, we're discovering all kinds of new things about this about the ancient world that uh, we didn't know before, and, and a lot of the historical information we've had is being sort of rewritten now as we discover more things. And uh, one of the most Interesting thing is, is there's some prophecy expert that believe that the antichrist will in some sense be the I don't know resurrection or return or maybe a, some kind of genetic connection to Nimrod might and, have been
1: uh, Peter Goodgame with the uh, second coming of the antichrist That's a oh, theory that he threw out there Was oh,
4: that right And and, and ju- just this week uh, the most the weirdest most bizarre I mean amid, amid all the weird bizarre things been going on lately uh, you know it, it, in the next few weeks they're actually going to erect the temple of bahal or, or nimrod in right. New York City and London. Yeah. You know, ISIS had destroyed the actual uh, temple uh you know, I think it was in Syria. And so now through some strange uh you know set of circumstances they're actually gonna erect this uh you know replica in New York City and, you know of course you know many people believe that you know you know America or New York City could be you know the you know part of this Babylonian system or, or actually Babylon in Revelation 17:18 talks about this uh, Babylon being destroyed by fire in one hour and the the, uh, the the ship masters on their merchant boats will sit from afar watch her burn uh, mourning all the wealth that's lost and how they you know the World traded with whoever this mystery Babylon system is, and there's a lot of you know people over the years have um, you know thought maybe that you know Babylon was the Roman Catholic Church or apostate Christianity or European Union or you know even you know Babylon in, in Iraq and of course you know America. So so there's a lot of uh, you know questions and mystery about this, but it all sort of connects together you know back to ancient Babylon. So that's that's uh, how we delve into that in the book and.
0: So it seems like you've got a pretty straightforward, logical explanation that is kind of undeniable, even to people who think you're bonkers. And, uh, you know, that that is probably the most effective way to do it, huh?
4: The, the other thing we, we do in the book is that the, the book features over 100 different interviews. Um, you know, we've got everybody from Billy Graham to Dr. Tim LaHaye, Joel Rosenberg, uh, Rabbi Kahn, Bible scholars like Mark Hitchcock, Pastor Greg Laurie, uh, all, all kinds of sort of prominent, you know, faith leaders and prophecy experts, and the overwhelming consensus among, I mean, all, almost all of them, is that we are in the run-up to the end-time events predicted in the Bible. But then we also interview people like Noam Chomsky and professors at Princeton and. All- Oxford and, and prestigious uh, universities like that, and and on, on their on the secular side, the consensus is, is that we're in the run up to the uh, the end of human civilization. In fact, some of these universities actually created institutes. Oxford has a Future of Humanity Institute, <clears throat> and they actually released a report not too long ago, citing the twelve top threats to the future of humanity. And uh, you know, many of them were the kind of things you think of: nuclear war, extreme climate change, you know, artificial intelligence run amok. But one of them was a global global totalitarian government or a world dictatorship so, so oxford university is coming out and saying that wow you know if, if global governments goes wrong we could have a big problem on our hands so <laughs> wow there's a lot that's more incredible. Of this than that but most people uh, know that's yes
0: yeah, so that's incredible even the secular uh, institutions are on the same are on the same wavelength even if they're not you know don't have the jesus factor in there
4: Another real surprising thing is that University of Chicago took an interest in this, probably for political reasons, and uh, they did a poll, and they found that 51% of Americans believe a so-called secret cabal actually runs the world. Right. And, you know, of course, that wasn't publicized, but, you know, we, we put that in the book. And uh, so I, I sort of extrapolated from that, and I found a professor at, at Princeton had studied this thing. He wanted to find out uh, how much, you know, power do the regular people have today politically and how much power do the elite have. And he thought when he went into the study that, you know, he'd find that the regular people have, you know, quite a bit of power. But uh, when, when he really looked at it, you know, the elite, you know, donate Hundreds of millions of dollars to the political can- candidates, and um, you know, so essentially, he found that you know, wealthy, the wealthy elite, pretty much have all the power in our political system. You know, it's pretty much a rigged game. They only give you the candidates they want you to choose among, and the, the regular people, voters, have almost no political power anymore because the extreme, uh, you know, uh, wealth, you know, uh, that, that, that's characterizes our society today. So, you know. Right. Procedures, you know, professors at prestigious universities looked into this and have raised, you know, concerns about what's what's going on this, uh, you know, consolidation of wealth and, among this very small group of people.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I, you know, I think uh, that's the that echoes the sentiments of, of uh, well, obviously according to that poll, at least half of the people in the United <laughs> States. Um, so now you you talk about how the secret society started at the Tower of Babel and uh, have continued through the ages. There now, my question is: How in the world did you get this into the mainstream? I mean, was it were you guys able to leverage? Uh, you know your past experience and titles or because uh, uh, or was this self-published and just happened to get picked up all over the place how did that work i'm just curious well yeah the,
4: so the book was uh, sold to uh, faith words which is an imprint of the Hachette book group it's the world's second largest publishing house um so that that's been a key entry and, and now we have all kinds of you know interest in turning this into a mainstream film in fact i, I just met with a uh, a guy who owns a film investment company over the weekend and he, he envisions this as you know not only a docudrama maybe initially but ultimately uh, a series of feature films 25 million to 100 million dollar feature films so uh, if, if that if that happens you know this would be a way to you know really get this message out there you know to, to potentially millions of people in the world
1: yeah step aside uh da vinci code we got the babylon code right? <laughs>
4: right well
0: i was gonna say well if uh all goes well and you guys need a couple pas or something just <laughs> let us know
3: <laughs> well sure. one one thing also and in, in, into how we uh um deal with uh you know presenting these uh intense ideas um and get a hearing <clears throat> in the public is uh we have been able to, to by God's grace, leverage uh, the power and influence, whatever power and influence we have. I mean, Troy has impeccable journalistic credentials. Again, you know, he's a Pulitzer Prize-nominated journalist. Um, um, so, And the documentation in the book is impeccable from mainstream sources. Um, I'm a professor of eschatology at a, a leading uh, college and seminary um we uh i'm also a commentator on Fox News Network and uh i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing these days <laughs> uh on, on on numerous networks the history channel has done several specials with me and um we have a lot of huge christian leaders who who have endorsed our book we couldn't even fit all the the names on on the book jacket Um, but highly respected mainstream Christian leaders, everybody from people like Jack Hayford to to, to the Baptist uh, preacher, Dr. Robert Jeffress, and uh, Tim LaHaye, and many, many others. So um, we have a lot of credentials and a lot of endorsements, and we have, uh, by God's grace, uh, uh, a significant degree of influence. So we know full well when we present this that there is this, you know, it's a certain percentage of people that are skeptical, but th- but then they have to deal with our credentials. I mean, the bottom line is um, we've paid the price. We have credentials and we have endorsements. So they may say, well, gee, these I, I you know, I think this is like a crazy idea, but this a famous Christian leader endorsed them, and uh, they have these credentials. So at least, at least they have to t- to take it seriously. They can't just dismiss us as a bunch of, you know, conspiracy theory nuts. Uh, they have to deal with it, and um, I thank both of us. Thank God for that, because without that, we could easily be dismissed. But we have not been dismissed. Uh, uh, the marketplace has responded, and uh, really. Against incredible odds, um, the book is the number one selling prophecy book in the world, and I, and we, we we don't have time to go into how that happened, but it has been an uphill battle in many respects. Because to be blunt and without naming names, there are certain forces uh, that would would like would have liked to take us down, but by God's grace, uh, the message still gets out there.
0: Yeah, you know, my next question was going to be, how are you guys still alive? Uh, But, you know, God's uh, pretty good at protecting the people he needs. So good for you. Um,
4: (laughs) Uh, Let let, let me uh, just say something about that. So about a week and a half ago, I get this um, email uh, via my website from this guy. His Twitter handle is, is genius, billionaire, playboy philanthropist and uh and, so, and the guy's uh, uh so, so I, I, he's an author he's written some books and so I, I take a look at his author page and it says that you know he's written all kinds of books he was an academic he has a phd for the london school of economics uh he's a an atheist and a humanist he's from britain and and he says he goes he says me, you know, he says, I, you know I, I, I have many questions about your book the babylon code but uh only I want to take up. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Only want to ask one: Why did the Illuminati let you live? And, <laughs> uh, and <It's> so, <laughs> you know, I wasn't sure exactly who I was dealing with, so I want to be careful. And I answer that, right? And uh, I, you know, I just sort of put it back in his his court, and and, uh, and he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "I, I figured that." Uh, uh, he goes, "They said that in the old days, you know, they might have, you know, taken somebody out like you guys, but you know, nowadays with the internet and and uh, the media and you know." social media and such uh you know it's just there's, there's yeah. so much out there they you know they i guess they overlook it and so right. we we struck up a conversation and then, then it turned out that uh you know he he really liked the book and he was an atheist and then he said that he you know he read it and and it played a role in you know converting from atheism to you know a believer and uh so yeah we, we you know we, we've asked about that we've had some strange contacts and People, you know, reached out to us, uh, but uh, but no, nothing real serious.
0: Was he really a billionaire, genius, playboy, philanthropist? <laughs> I, I still got to find that out.
1: <laughs> if he really had a change of heart, then maybe you know, maybe he can uh, help support. <laughs> I was say some of he his could fund your movie right there, <laughs>
0: yeah. and me and Gonzenai's movie as well. Yeah. Um, so wonderful. So you guys are still alive. That's great to hear. Uh, now in the book, I mean, things like this can be a real downer. Let me tell you. The end of the world and the complete, uh, control of the economy and political and religious systems of the world by a Luciferian cabal whose aim is to bring about the Antichrist and the ultimate plunge into the apocalypse can be a, you know, can be a real, uh, kind of a bummer. Do you give? I mean uh, cuz we know the ultimate answer is a spiritual one what sort of answer or conclusion do you come to in the book that y- you know you- you've tailored somehow gently to the mainstream media or sorry mainstream audience
3: well the, the, that's a really good question and and both of us are uh, acutely aware that you know this kind of information can be, constitute an information overload and and potentially be uh, a bummer or really despairing, of which my wife reminds me constantly if I'm not careful about what I talk about or research in front of. Me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but even tonight because I'm working on another project. God bless the spouses of yeah. men like you and I. It's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, she's always right. I, 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 you know, I get very indignant, but she's always right. But um, one of the messages of the book is we believe that if God's people will um, um, begin to obey, for example, Second Chronicles 7.14, which where it says, If my people who are called by my name uh, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their uh, wicked ways and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. So, in the book, we believe that there can be a third great awakening in America and a biblical revival and um, um, we believe that from Scripture, we believe that from history, but also um, in the book I share, and I want to be care- very careful about what I say, because um, I, I had a vision uh, that I share in the book, but, 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 and I don't know if I'll go into it now, but um, I want to be very careful. I don't use the, the term, I had a vision, at all in my life. I'm very precise about my language, and I distinguish between, uh, for example, having an inspired uh, imagination or, let's say, a God thought. That's completely different from having an actual vision, and I can only recall in my life of ever having one full-blown, what I would consider, vision from God. So, in July 4th, 2012, my wife and I were reminiscing uh, about our courtship days in Manhattan, and I won't tell the whole, whole story here, but uh, I felt after we were talking on July 4th, 2012, that you know we should pray. So I began praying first to the Lord, because it was July 4th, uh, repenting of my sins, and then uh, as an intercessor, uh, repenting for the sins of the Church and the sins of America. And then my body was set on fire. And when I say set on fire, I'm not, I'm not talking about it in the usual uh, charismatic uh, sense of the word, where somebody has a, an experience with the Holy Spirit. This was, this was way beyond that. My body was burning with the most intense heat. And it was so intense that when I looked at my wife, I deliberately made my voices calm, And as clinical as possible, because I didn't want to uh, describe to her what was happening in an emotional tone, even though what I was experiencing was beyond anything I've ever experienced before. And then the next thing I knew is I was looking down on the North American continent uh, from, let's say, the perspective of a satellite from outer space. And But it, was, it wasn't just an idea or, or some kind of fantasy. It was like I was there, and I saw the glory of God and, and a revival begin to break out uh, on the west coast of America and then move uh, slowly to the east coast. And the Lord said to me, not in an audible voice, but in my spirit, uh, I began to see the glory of God illuminate the darkness, and I began to see millions and millions of people rise in, in prayer. And the Lord said, in, in, in my spirit, not in an audible voice, he said, they're starting to rise, they're starting to rise in prayer. And, and so, that's a very quick summary of what I shared in the book, but the, the point was that um, um, the Lord said that that was his desire for America. It was not his desire for America to be destroyed, and that he would give us a revival or a third great awakening if we truly repented Now, from a theological standpoint, you know, there's a lot of uh, prophecy Christians who are very resistant to that because they haven't thought through their position on Bible prophecy. So they say, well, there can't be uh, a revival like that. It's the last days. There can only be like apostasy or a counterfeit revival. But they forget that um, the Reformation, the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, all of these occurred in what the Apostle Paul called the last days so we can have a great awakening and a biblical revival in America if God's people will really seek his face and i hope that happens because the lord didn't say to me it's going to happen he simply uh said to me through this vision this is my desire for america i want this to happen if certain conditions are met you know
1: that's a really interesting wow. that's a really interesting thing because you know there have been people i've spoken to who have also seen uh, similar visions of you know this it can go this way or it can really go the dark way and you know pretty much god can close the books on this age but uh, there's there's some passages in daniel 12 that that you reminded me of and you know it's certainly talking about the end times and the the times of trouble and um you know the the, the trouble that will be so magnificent that you know it will that that no nation has ever experienced that sort of trouble. But at the same time, you know, if you look at Daniel twelve and you look at verse two and three and stuff like that, it's all talking about. Um, well, I, I think it's partially talking about the day of the Lord. But at the same time, it says that uh, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever, and. You know, it's just interesting how there is this sort of positive thing that's happening at the end. And so, maybe, in my personal opinion, I feel like even if it's not a huge revival, there is still a line being drawn and sort of a separation of the wheat and the tares where, you know, some of the more lukewarm churches will start to fall away and those Christians that are really on fire. Um, will come together in, in a sort of community aspect, so uh, I find it fascinating that you had that vision because it seems to uh, uh confirm some of the things that I've talked to people about and uh, I certainly haven't had a vision like that, but uh, in terms of uh you know gauging the temperament of uh, the United States anyway from where I sit, um, I'm certainly seeing uh you know more people wake up, more Christians waking up and understanding where we're at. But also wanting that revival, going into prayer and and you know really uh, doing the things that God set us to do. So um, that's fascinating to me. But you know, there there are definitely prophecies that I think, and I think you guys are really tapping into this, which seem at the time it was written, and even commentators throughout the centuries have missed because of certain aspects of uh, you know the paradigm of where we're at today and. Uh Paul, I know um you were in the, the documentary Inhuman. Uh I feel like I know you because, you know, I, I edited you quite a bit in oh, that film. Oh. So I saw all the your whole conversation that you did for that one, the interview you did for that. Then you know we used obviously parts of it for the documentary. Uh but you know there there are definitely passages that I think that we've seen even in the prophecy circles that we can start to maybe understand even at a deeper level, and you know, like my personal opinion, you know, things like the Brain Initiative that Obama put in place in 2013, right, where they're right. trying to map the brain. I, I personally, I equate that to a sort of a Tower of Babel moment or Tower of Babel goal because. As they understand the brain, which ironically, you know, it takes a human brain to understand the brain. So there's like a, a a limit to what we can understand about it to begin with. And I think that points to a creator to begin with. But in any case, you know, it, it really with nanotechnology, with with, you know, all these quantum sciences and everything else, the culture at which things are happening you know, you apply that to some of the older passages and things get really interesting. And, you know, for example, just a couple of days ago, I was looking at Daniel twelve four. God tells Daniel to shut up the words and seal up some of the things for the time of the end. And it says many shall yeah. run to and fro and now and knowledge will increase. And, you know, in recent years, you know, the prophecy has been, oh, look, uh, automobiles and airplanes that many are going to and fro, but As I look at this in more of a spiritual, technological, interdimensional kind of portal opening kind of way, many shall run to and fro, maybe more of a, hey, we're going to be traversing back and forth through these dimensions almost, uh, not us personally per se, but just people in in the world, um, through these virtual realities that have been created, which I believe are, in a sense... Uh, almost a physical manifestation of these spiritual realities that are coming into being. And, you know, through things like nanotechnology there, the more we try to bridge the gap into that spiritual realm, there's a spillover happening the other way where, you know, through the manipulation of the smallest pieces of creation, you know, things are changed and manipulated into basically the ability for these demonic entities to possess Uh, either a person eventually i think a a person in the antichrist but also his army and stuff like that um what do you think in terms of uh, the culture and things that we're seeing now how did how did that play into you know how you guys understand a lot of these prophecies
3: well um one thing uh, you know it's as if and we incorporate this in the book a great deal um it's it's almost as if we're in a, a time period where God is lifting the veil, uh, so to speak, off off the, the the entirety of the Word of God. So you know, calling the Tower of Babel an interdimensional portal or Stargate may have been far-fetched uh, 30 years ago. Uh, it's still a stretch for a lot of people today. But you take simply the the the, the story of Noah. And and I simplify the story of Noah, and I I simply say that the flood of Noah was a targeted DNA digital holographic event, Ooh. and I say that to 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 I do I want to blast people's consciousness open because this whole idea that you know the the sons of God, the Benai Elohim in Genesis, uh, you know, refers to the Sethite view is total nonsense, yeah. because. If you look at the flood of Noah, so there's so much information that's there from a technological, genetic, transhumanist-type perspective. Number one is, um, why did God judge the animal species uh, along with mankind if the judgment was just a a generic judgment against uh, mankind's wickedness? No, the, 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 the judgment of Noah, the flood, was far more comprehensive than just judging man's wickedness. That's why he had to wipe out the animal species and the other species. And then, um, as everybody knows in the story, he instructs Noah to build an ark, and then all the animals come on the ark two by two for the purpose of reproduction, because God wiped out all the other animals. And then there's only a select number of the human race, Noah and his sons and their wives, uh, who had intact DNA, And then after he wipes out, after God wipes out all the corrupted DNA, which we know comes from the interbreeding of the Nephilim with human women, but also uh, the fallen angels experimenting genetically with animals. And I know that's far-fetched with people, but I simply say, look, uh, demons uh, require a physical host body to stay in the earth. So, even Lucifer inhabited an erect reptilian when he was talking to Adam and Eve, and then, when Jesus was alive and he was casting demons out of people, um, the demons begged him to to not to be sent into the abyss right but uh, Jesus cast the demons into to a whole bunch of pigs. Why because the demons need a host body so the genetic uh, experimentation by the fallen angels is not all that far-fetched in light of the totality of Scripture. So now you take all that and the fact that in Genesis it talks about the benign Elohim mating with human women and, and having a hybrid species, the Nephilim. And right now in our society we have the, the number one exploding science is transhumanism. The t- Department of Defense openly admitting they're they're mixing human DNA with animal DNA and perhaps secretly Nephilim DNA. This is all happening for the first time in human history, the science of transhumanism and genetic modification and super soldiers and all that stuff. It totally synchronizes with what God's Word is saying, not to mention getting into the book of Revelation and trying to figure out what it means that they worship the image of the beast, et cetera, et cetera. Sure which could refer to a holographic projection, it could refer to a clone, it could uh, uh, refer to all kinds of transhumanist or technological or biotechnological things. Sure, yeah, and and if you actually, (laughs)
1: when you mention Genesis 6, I mean, to me, it's so clear in verse 12, where it says, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth, and then he goes on here, but I mean, it's just pretty clear, all flesh had corrupted their way, and, and if you right. read, read it at face value, it uh, seems to be talking about a genetic problem there.
0: Right. As well as with the animals. Yeah. Now, do you guys uh, talk about uh, the ET phenomenon at all in the book?
4: Troy, I'll let you answer that. Uh, y- yeah, um, we talked a little bit about it. Um, the way I way approach it is that, um, you know, um, if, you know uh, of course... You know, UFOs and ET phenomena has become you know it's, it's quite a pop culture phenomena today. I think there's a there's a poll I cite in the book that um, I think there's there's they did the poll in Britain and, and more people in Britain believe in UFO than believe in God now. Right. And um, uh, and then also you know of course the, the Pope came out recently and, and said uh, you know joked that he would baptize an alien if we, if we made contact. And, um, you know, so there's been all kinds of stuff in, in the mainstream press. And so, the, you know, this, this sort of the modern interpretation of what all this UFO phenomena and it, uh, extraterrestrials is in the Christian community sort of grew out of this book called The Omega Conspiracy that came out in, I think, about 1970 or so. And in there, uh, the author... I.D.E. Uh, Thomas, right? Yeah, that, that's, that's the author... Um, you know, he, t- he talks about how the you know the, the Nephilim, the UFOs, Bigfoot, a- aliens, all these different things, maybe similar manifestations of these interdimensional evil beings, demons, and um, uh, you know, of course, the Bible talks about entertaining angels unawares, and that they can assume human form and different shapes, and you know, what we learn from in, in this conversation, uh, harness different technologies, and so you know, perhaps you know some of this that we're we're seeing is uh you know some kind of you know spiritual phenomena are interdimensional, and, and there's, there's sort of actually sort of a growing number of scientists that believe that may be the case, too. In fact, they're, they're doing all kinds of experiments now, you know, with CERN and all kinds of stuff to try to see if we can enter other dimensions. Uh, scientists believe there, there may be as many as 11 dimensions now, and right. so is what's in those dimensions. And um, uh, so, there's, so we, we delve into that a little bit in the book from sort of from that perspective, and uh, and ask whether this this could somehow play in the end time scenario the Bible talks about. There's various places throughout the Bible maybe seen a reference, uh, you know, UFO kind of you know experiences or uh, sightings and and uh, so it's all very mysterious. That's 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 sort of what I know about it. What would you like to say, Paul?
3: Well, two things come to my mind. One is I I'm firmly convinced from reading this the scripture because when we talk about this, I always add Jesus's comments, which is, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. I don't think Jesus was first and foremost speaking about the general wickedness. I think Jesus was specifically relating Noah's time to, to, to the last days because of the interbreeding between fallen angels and human women. And, uh, then, you know, people always like go berserk on me uh in and, and, and Christians go berserk and usually in, in, in calmer ways, but but they internally go berserk when you bring this stuff up. But here here's the thing. I mean um the when Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, and then we, we you know, talking about uh, uh, fallen angels mating with human women, and then we we talk about occult technology or fallen angel technology, um, people always freak out about that. And then I always bring up the point that, hey, look, uh, normally we would not bring up the extra uh, books uh, of the Bible, um, um because they're the extra books of the Bible. But when we read in, in the book of Jude, and the book of Jude, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, talks about uh, uh, fallen angels um, um, uh, mating with human women, um, you know, going after strange flesh, etc. <clears throat> so, but then the book of Jude makes reference to, to the book of Enoch, an extra book of the Bible, which we wouldn't normally read. But God is giving us permission through the Holy Spirit in the book of Jude to, to check out the book of Enoch, at least in reference to the topic of, of this interbreeding. And then we read in the book of Enoch about how 200 fallen angels descended upon Mount Hermon and not only mated with human women, producing a, a hybrid species, the Nephilim, but then we further read on in the book of Enoch that these fallen angels gave human, uh, the human beings, including women, uh, technology and science and other things. So here we have a direct account of the fallen angels giving mankind technology, and this this you know is rough stuff for a lot of people who 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 uh, um, whose minds have never uh, been expanded enough to think outside of the size of a shoebox. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty rough on them to contemplate the reality. Uh, of alien or fallen angel technology. But that's exactly what the Bible is pointing towards, yeah. not only internally from Genesis to Revelation, but specifically in the Book of Enoch. It's, t- it's talking about these fallen angels gave mankind technology. Yeah, And uh, that's a hard one for people, but you know what? We all got to grow up sooner or later. And uh, that's what transhumanism and the, the Tower of Babel and some of this other stuff is all about. Yeah, it's
1: interesting when you read the, the Book of Enoch, too, because not only did the technologies, I, th- I believe it's, uh, you know, even uh, God is upset because he, you know, the fallen angels showed the mysteries of creation and things like that, but but also, right. y- you know, things like abortion, things like, uh, you know, uh, slaying the, the child in the womb, uh, makeup for women, and, yes. uh, you know, all sorts of spells and things like that, the cutting of the root, uh, there's all kinds of stuff that are very occultic in, in nature. And you look at it and you go, you know, I, I was actually mentioning to my, to my wife and some of her girlfriends about how the book of Enoch talks about, you know, the fallen angels teaching women how to put on makeup. And they were, they were right. pretty upset about that. So we should we not wear makeup or, or what should we should, and it's like, no, it's fine. It's just, you know. Don't go overboard, but it's just one of those things where you don't think, like <laughs> you don't realize that stuff like that had come from the knowledge of these fallen entities. It's really fascinating.
3: Well, yeah, and going to the thing of makeup, I, you know, that, that, that's that's a rough one <laughs> for, for women and everybody else. So, but but I think what <laughs> uh, I think what you know, I I, I don't think God's against no, makeup, no, and no. I think makeup can enhance the physical beauty. Of a woman, however, um, like any other, like anything, like anything, makeup can also. I mean, there's like a, like 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 a woman can dress in an attractive way, but, but it's it's a matter of deg- or a male, but it's 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 a matter of degrees between an attractive way and a sexually seductive way. The same thing with makeup. Makeup can enhance a woman's beauty, but used in a particular uh, way, it can enhance uh, sexual seduction. Mm-hmm. So I think these fallen angels were 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 definitely teaching teaching human women how to use uh, makeup to to heighten their powers of sexual seduction, because these fallen angels are were inter promoting um, immorality. Right. So right. you know these are dicey things to talk about in public, but but yeah, we, um, we talk about it all the time here. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: but but.
3: Yeah. So, you know, yeah, and, and one of the things that
1: tying it back to the ET discussion, we had interviewed uh, Dr. David Jacobs and, uh, you know, he's been looking at the alien abduction phenomenon for a while. And it was really fascinating to hear the case studies that he has come across and even, you know, direct interviews, most of them anyway, direct um stories and encounters that he he documents, and it, the consensus that he comes to is that there is an alien species that is trying to hybridize themselves to look like humans and walk among us um and you talk about that and you you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know this is, sounds exactly like. Uh, a hybrid program that's that was mentioned or or is alluded right. to in the Bible, uh, yet he is not willing to entertain anything biblical, any any sort of uh, you know spiritual dimension to, uh, you know to, to any of it, which is really interesting in itself. But you know you start looking at that and and that's a secular source that's not even in you know. Uh, that's not right. something that, that Christians or Bible scholars came up with or anything, uh, but it all seems to dovetail. And it's fascinating to consider, you know, you look at the book of revelation, those who take the mark, but it also talks about those whose names were not written since the foundation of the world. And, you know, people have struggled with that passage. And, uh, what does it mean? Does it mean people are, 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 you know, predetermined not to be saved? Well, there's this other possible understanding that, You know, there could be a race of humans in the end times where they're really not human anymore. And, uh, you know, this ties into the whole transhumanist thing as well. But even through the whole ET phenomenon or the ET alleged ET phenomenon with hybridizing humanity where, you know, we would look like man, but they won't be man. You know, so uh, lots of little nuggets there of of different possibilities when you start incorporating some of these cultural references and things that are happening around us. But uh, what do you think is the most startling thing you came across when you were writing the Babylon code? What, what was the, the thing that really made you guys just, you know, mind
3: blown kind of stuff? Troy, you want to start on that one
4: first? Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, I I was, you know, I've I've been, I've, Still a journalist but you know i was a, you know, a mainstream journalist for many years at you know newspapers and such and so when i when i first you know started to learn about this stuff it wasn't very mind-blowing you know and it's only been a few years since i really started to dig in all this and and you know, I've always loved America, and and uh, very very patriotic, and believing in my country, and, and that kind of thing. And so I, th- I think that the biggest thing that uh, that startled me when I was digging into all this and trying to put the pieces of this all together was that, that you know there's there's many believe that America is either is is mystery Babylon or Babylon the Great, or it could be like a, a headquarters of it. Maybe there's a headquarters in, in you know the European Union, and one is here. Maybe it's like the you know wall street washington dc access or something as part of this and and then the the thing that really blew my mind is is about the Statue of liberty um the you know when i when i started digging into this i found little things that mentioned that you know the statue of liberty could have been originally inspired by uh, the figure of Sidney ramos who, who may have been the the wife or mother, mother wife of Nimrod, and, and is a, a mythical figure that is, you know, has many different names through many different cultures, and is, and is, you know, supposedly the source of Mystery Babylon. And um, and then I uh, did some research and 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 put, put the pieces of the puzzle together, and, and and lo and behold, there's, there's, you know, there's de- decent evidence that the Statue of Liberty is based on that. So so the the symbol of America very well could be Mystery Babylon uh, by chance, if that's the case. You know, the Bible doesn't uh, say, you know, there's there, there's a, a period of reckoning coming. So uh, that, that was probably the most startling thing that I uh, found in doing the research for this book.
1: Yeah, and some of the, uh, when you start just looking at Washington, the layout, once you start looking through those goggles, so to speak, or take the veil off your yeah. eyes or whatever, it, it's unbelievable. Everything is ties back to... Some of the occultic uh, roots—it's—it's pretty fascinating. One of the biggest ones for me when I was starting to do the research was uh, the mural in um, the 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 dome in Washington, the uh, the apotheosis of George Washington. Apotheosis, yeah. (laughs) And uh, that's—I mean, I thought, wow, that's pretty in your face that no one really talks about. But um, what about you, Paul?
3: Well, it's kind of hard to pin down one thing. I I would say this though that. Everything that we've written about in the book, and, and just about everything we've discussed in this program—any <clears throat> issue, whether it's the Nephilim or uh, the, the the cults that run America or whatever, the Illuminati, whatever it is—I, I, uh, transhumanism—I uh, met every single one, uh, every single one of the, and the thing with the uh, uh, fallen angels having sex with human women, I, I reacted to every one of these things with such skepticism and such disbelief. You know, I'm a very cynical and skeptical guy so just about everything in the book and everything we've talked about, I at one time held the position that this is total nonsense and, and it's ridiculous. But after studying now this thing for decades and decades, uh, and, and I, I've I continue to fight tooth and nail on just about every time I encounter some new Truth that might be considered a conspiracy theory or whatever. Um, I I often fight tooth and nail against it because I just am skeptical. I don't believe it. But as I really do my homework and do do the research, I most often uh, come up with overwhelming evidence that indeed, uh, you know, the things we're discussing are true. And and, and the, the proof and documentation is overwhelming. So, you know, going back to this Nephilim thing, and you, I thought this was so crazy, this idea that fallen angels could have sex with human women. And I was just convinced this was just some kind of tale from outer space. So I really did a lot of research. And I think that you'd have to be crazy to take the opposite point of view. Those Christians <laughs> who believe in what's called the Sethite view yeah. or these other explanations— they're essentially crazy, and theologically, <laughs> theologically, they crashed the plane in Area 51. I mean, they're, they're out to lunch. It is unmistakable. Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in its entirety is driving home that point. In fact, <clears throat> once, you know, it's that, that proverbial expression, once you go down the rabbit hole, but once you put those goggles on, as you just said, then you look at the book of Canaan, uh, the story of Canaan and and the story of Joshua and right, Caleb, yeah. and 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 then the light bulb goes on. Gee, these aren't just physical giants that they're conquering in the land. Canaan is populated by these tribes: the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Gergesites. But they're all Nephilim tribes. These are right. uh, these tribes in Canaan are all the product of interspecies breeding between fallen angels. And human women. And then the light bulb goes on again, and you realize that that Goliath is a Nephilim, right, yeah. and his brother was a Nephilim. And, you know, this whole thing begins to explode, and you, you have, what emerges is you have a very biblical, and a very deep biblical paradigm shift where your entire consciousness about reality, economics, science, and theology uh... undergoes a paradigm shift but it's completely anchored uh... accurately in an accurate interpretation of the bible and it is it is sanity in fact the opposite point of view is the one that's insane
0: Right, right, I like
3: how blunt you are with that. Because <laughs> it's, it's one of those thrown out the i
0: word. You know, well,
1: because it's you know we we've often faced you know you know opposition in terms of I, I've run into I have a video called Who Are the Sons of God of Genesis Six Sethite View Debunked where right? <clears throat> I I don't use the Book of Enoch I don't use any extra. Uh, Extra biblical books. I just use the Bible to show that the sons of God in Genesis six were, you know, the beneha elohim, the fallen angels, if you want to call it that, or at least these divine entities that came down and mated with human women. The distinction, the daughters of men, uh, made with mm-hmm. the sons of God, you know, sort of indicates that they were probably not men you know so to speak uh, mm-hmm. but i i just love how you're so blunt with that because it's kind of refreshing i, I have to admit because uh you know it, it is true that there is um uh, you know some of those views and, and the people that hold on to it uh they got to dance around a little bit you know especially when shown the facts and uh you know some of the um you know i've heard a lot of uh you know good philosophical uh christians in apologetics really try to explain why god would uh you know, commit quote-unquote genocide right in the Old Testament to knock out these tribes and stuff. You you just plug in the Nephilim thing into the equation, and man, the whole thing makes a lot more sense. Right.
3: Uh, absolutely. That very difficult theological question about how could a loving God have commanded uh, Joshua and Caleb to slaughter all these people, all of a sudden makes crystal clear sense when you realize that, They are the, the, that they're Nephilim, they're they're the the demonic uh, offspring of interspecies breeding. And, you know, um, I'm not saying I believe in every conspiracy theory. I mean, I hear conspiracy theories all the time that I completely think came out of an insane asylum. And I I don't embrace those. Uh, So there is a filtering process. But I have found that the vast majority of people, not the vast majority of people, 100% 100% of the people, when I will talk about it, these subjects that you and I and Troy agree on, uh, and and they innuendo or directly accuse me, most often they directly accuse me of uh, promoting a conspiracy theory or being a conspiracy theorist, I immediately will respond. Usually it's in a public audience where I'm addressing like 500 or 1,000 people. They'll raise their hand and, and accuse me of being a conspiracy theorist or whatever. And my response will be very polite, very courteous, but very direct. And I'll simply say, um, how many minutes have you spent researching uh, the topic that you've challenged me on? And they, they kind of try not to answer. And I don't let them get away with it. I pin them down. How many minutes? And then I'm generous to say, how many hours? How many weeks have you spent researching this topic? And inevitably, and I won't allow them to lie, inevitably, It'll come down to they've either done no research (laughs) on what they're accusing me about 100% of the time, or at best, they've done five minutes of thinking about the subject of which they're accusing me of being conspiracy theory. Of my responses, and I found this is universal across the board, is that you're you're accusing me of of promoting conspiracy theory. I've spent 35 years researching the topic you have spent less than 5 minutes i mean you, you know you know ha, you haven't even done your minimal homework right <laughs> and and usually people will fall apart i mean they because because it, it doesn't take much of a, a an interchange to pin people down and 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 you will find that the people who are making the accusations of conspiracy theory all you know, they have spent less than 5 minutes on the topic yeah
0: yeah if that that's, if that's that, probably I right, am being, being gracious yeah. and, or maybe a couple of YouTube <laughs> yeah, right. videos or something. Yeah. Right. So I'm interested, you know, we talked a little bit about what was most shocking for you guys in the book, but is there a point in the book, is there a tipping point, uh, a common tipping point for those who contact you about what exactly made it all click? Is there a keystone where, you know, they are reading the book, they're hearing all the the craziness, uh, they're thinking you guys are a couple of cocoa heads, and suddenly something happens. They re- get to a chapter, they get to a paragraph, and it starts. It starts all make sense. Is there a, is there something like that in the book?
4: What you know, sort of brings us all together. What uh, you know helps make sense of all this is you know that and, and this is something that Paul and I and and uh, uh, some other people have been talking about lately. Is, is there still is hope? And um, you know, Paul had mentioned this earlier. Uh, you know but I, I interviewed Billy Graham a few years ago as you know when we quote him in the book and and at at that time he had issued an open letter to America and it's deceived people, and he compared america to to Nineveh, and he said that when God sent uh, Jonah to Nineveh to warn them of of judgment, uh, Nineveh repented and and judgment was averted and Billy Graham said that he believed the same thing can happen today in America and the world. And he he reiterated this point in his in his last book. And um, and just last week, uh, Paul and I were talking to an evangelist, and um, and he he had had a similar vision to what Paul had, and believed that you know God does want to send this this long hoped for you know great end times awakening to America and to the world, but it's it's largely dependent on the church, you know, waking up to what's going on, people turning back to God, repenting. And, uh, and then we can see this happen. Uh, and so, you know, the, the Jesus talks about um, the gospel will be preached to, to all the world and then the end will come. And of course, you know, there's still billions of people that, you know, haven't, you know, or at least hundreds of millions that haven't heard the gospel and billions that, you know, aren't, aren't believers. So there's still a vast amount of work to do. So I, I still do have, have great hope that, uh, you know, people will wake up. And that's why we feel so deeply compelled to try to get this message out there to as many people as possible. And, and this one evangelist we talked to last week, he, he said something very inspirational to me. He said that he believed that God wants to smash the Illuminati and then he wants to you know, roll back these these plans of darkness that are that seem to be overwhelming the world right now. You know, there's been other times in history when things look really bad, and, uh, you know, even in American history, if you look at, you know, World War II or the Civil War or the Great Depression, and, uh, you know, Americans, especially the ministers, come forward as statesmen for the culture. Christian leaders, you know, start telling people the truth and sort of lay it on the line. People, you know the congregation wakes up and people pull themselves up by their bootstraps and and you know turn things around. And so I, I think we're we're at a point like that in in our nation's history. And that's why you know I've devoted my life to try to get this message out there and and believe that God really wants to you know get this message not just through us but through, through many different people. And so I would encourage you know, anybody listening to you know it's, it's time to take a stand. You know there, there there may not be that much time left before we hit this this, this tipping point.
0: Amen. What about you, Paul? Anything well, that uh, that you've heard from your readers that really just maybe just flip the switch for them?
3: Well, I agree with, with what Troy said. We're 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 at a tipping point, or you know, well, what was said. We we're at a tipping point, and uh, God has given us a window of opportunity. The very fact that you you guys and us can talk about this to you know who knows how many hundreds of thousands of people or whatever. Um, globally via the internet, et cetera. Um, that's that's an amazing opportunity, and and we found. I mean, I'm getting emails from people all over Europe who've read the book, all of the United States, all different re- uh, ages, uh, ethnic groups, uh, um, atheists, uh, religious people, and quite frankly, I have been surprised uh, that the 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 overwhelming majority of them. Um, have um, either come back to the Lord or, or or begun to a lot of people, you know, are alienated by by like contemporary Christianity, right. and so they walked away from it. But they they, they find that our book really <laughs> challenges them and uh, makes them think, and it's causing a lot of people to come back to the Lord, and uh, some people to come to the Lord. Uh, so I have been pleasantly surprised by that. But like Troy said, we very much believe in the, in the message of the book. We we believe that the message in the book, by God's grace, uh, can create a tipping point in the culture. So uh, among younger generations, among Hollywood, among people in the business community, and then there's uh, people around the world, and then there's a whole lot of Americans and millennials, et cetera, that are just discouraged and They don't know, you know, why things are going the way they are. They don't know why, uh, you know, we're outsourcing all our corporations, our dollars being destroyed, but we provide the answers in that. So I have been very uh, pleasantly surprised to see how God is using this book in a far bigger way. I mean, we prayed and believed God that he would use this in a big way, but when God actually steps up to the plate and does it, I mean, I'm surprised. I'm surprised, uh, you know, the, that the, the power and effect that the book has on people. And I'm very thankful for that, but I'm, I am I, I was caught off guard by it.
1: Yeah, and uh, just referencing real briefly back to Troy and, and uh, you know, the, the gentleman you were speaking to, the evangelist, you know, having sort of the same vision about, uh, you know, uh, Jesus destroying the Illuminati. Um, according to some researchers, the, the pictographical renderings of the name Yeshua in, in the Hebrew, which is Jesus, you know, in Hebrew, uh, Yud Shin Vav Ayin, if you take the pictographical understanding of each of those letters, it can read the hand that destroys the establishment of the eye. So that's that's wow. pretty fascinating, right? Whoa <laughs>
0: there,
3: big boy. I want to look that up. That's incredible.
1: I have a video that I made. I'll send it to you guys, and, and you guys can go from there.
3: That is powerful. Yeah,
1: it's pretty awesome mind-blowing. So, you know, that that kind of stuff, I think, can speak to the Christian who's a little more asleep and kind of knows about the Illuminati. You know, most people kind of have heard of the Illuminati, but they kind of think it's a joke or, a you know, just a, a pop culture thing, like, oh, the Illuminati triangle. Anytime they see a triangle, it's an Illuminati symbol or whatever. But then, you know, they start realizing it's real, and then what about, you know, how, how do Christians, how do we as Christians deal with it? And you hear something like that, and it's like, wow, okay, so this is this is part of the fabric of god 's history um, that 's playing out right before our eyes, and we get to play a pretty big role in it in you know writing books like you guys have um, I think you know I think more people will evangelize differently on the streets uh, you know people that are equipped with this knowledge of what 's really happening um, can really speak to a culture and a and a generation I think that uh, are going to need some legitimate answers to what 's happening in the world. And, um, so I commend you guys for doing that. And I, and I, you know, hope that God will use us, Basil. Lord willing. Is there, is there anything else that you guys are just really, uh, that's on your heart? That's really, that you want to get out there, the, the message about this book or, uh, something you want people to walk away with?
3: Well, one thing is, um, regarding, um, the factual evidence for what we're, what we're talking about, um, there is a certain amount of resistance among uh, a certain percentage of pastors to this topic. Um, and, and I don't mind when pastors are um, um, you know asking questions uh, honestly, but if but if they have prejudice or they're rejecting it uh, and they don't have a valid reason for rejecting it, uh, I do have a problem with that. And so I am uh politely aggressive in my response to pastors. Uh, and this is how, how I will handle it, because they say, oh, you have the Illuminati, because we got this when we were first uh, writing the book. Uh, in fact, when we passed it around to some uh, publishers initially, we got this skeptical response among some saying, oh, well, you know, the Illuminati is no longer in existence or it's a conspiracy theory. I mean, how can you say this? And my response to pastors is, <clears throat> um, I say to them directly, I say, um, you know, the fact that you do not believe in the Illuminati is is a very interesting response that you have because uh, your disbelief in the reality of the Illuminati uh, is completely different than that of, for example, our founding fathers like George Washington, Thomas (laughs) Jefferson, uh, and others who all wrote extensively and uh, knew about the Illuminati. Some warned of the dangers of the Illuminati. Our founding fathers who— you know, you would consider uh, highly credible. And then I said, the the uh, our founding spiritual fathers, the great men of the faith, like the spiritual father of the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards, uh, and Jonathan Edwards, um, um, I believe it was his grandson, um, was a uh, uh, the head, the president of uh, Yale University. Is that correct, um, Troy? Yeah, that's, that's my recollection. Yeah, the president, uh, the direct grandson of the, of the founder of the First Great Awakening, uh, preached sermons at Yale University warning of the danger of Illuminati infiltration in the United States. And these men were highly educated, as did numerous other great Christian leaders. They, they all knew about the Illuminati, and they all warned of its dangers. And uh, Charles Finney, the spiritual father of the Second Great Awakening, what what, pers- what caused the, the igniting of the Second Great Awakening was when Charles Finney, who was an active Freemason, uh, openly repented of his involvement in Freemasonry, and it caused I don't know how many thousands and thousands of Southern Baptist uh, pastors to repent of their involvement in Freemasonry also, and that ignited the Second Great Awakening. So, so, very credible, deeply literate biblical scholars and spiritual giants uh, all understood that the Illuminati was real, and they they understand it today. So my question to, to these pastors is, you know, these were highly educated, great men of God, giants of God, and they all knew the Illuminati existed. Our Founded Fathers knew the Illuminati existed. I and then I kind of take the gloves off I and I say you know for you to maintain the position that the illuminati is a conspiracy theory uh essentially says that you're uneducated and you ha- have not been responsible or d- diligent to to do even a minimal amount of research because your assertion is preposterous
0: <laughs> And then you drop the mic, and then you walk <laughs> I drop away. the mic,
3: and, I, and you know what? And I know I'm, I, I will not be invited back, but I don't care because I'm I'm not hurting for invitations. So don't invite me back. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: awesome. How about you, Troy? Any last words after that uh, that oration?
4: <laughs> uh, that's a little hard to talk there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can just amen to that if you like. <laughs>
4: But I, I guess what I could add there, and this this sort of you know loops back around to the beginning, is you know so so my ancestor Schiller. I mean he you know there was uh, if you, if you research Schiller. Uh, many people believe that he was a member of, of the Illuminati, but uh, he he claimed that he wasn't. But of course, I mean, almost all his friends were, you know, uh, Wolfgang Goethe wrote *Faust*. a very famous uh, German writer, was a member. Uh, that The guy that uh, at one point Schiller was deep in debt and uh, a member of the Illuminati, the very Illuminati, paid off his debts and gave him a house to live in for a few years. And that's when he wrote Ode to Joy. And... Uh, And, you know, like one of his early plays, The Robbers is believed to have helped inspire the French Revolution. And so he he saw that the impact that his writing was having and and was, was aghast, you know. He watched, you know, thousands of people being beheaded. And so he, you know, towards the end of his life, he became disillusioned with with this group of you know intellectuals and royalty and wealthy people, and and was you know believed to be writing a play to expose their plans to you know overthrow the governments of Europe and abolish Christianity. And then he died mysteriously. He was uh, he was only forty five, and um, there was there was a- widespread allegations. In fact, you can go on the internet today, especially in German Google, and you'll find hundreds of articles about you know he supposedly poisoned. And um, may have, the Illuminati may have assigned a doctor to him, who may have slowly poisoned him over a long period of time. And just just a few years ago, they um, there's always been controversy about you know about the whereabouts of his his bones. Uh, in fact, he was he was hastily buried at nighttime after his death in a, in a mass grave. And so a few years ago, they exhumed his uh, his casket. He's, he's, he's buried next to Gertie and uh, and then tested and then all, all his children tested their bones. And compared it to DNA samples they have of his hair, and it turns out we, we don't we don't have his bones anymore; they're they're missing. And um, and then his Gertie kept his skull on his desk for many years, and so there's all kinds of weird things that happen. So you know, my grandma had told me about this, when I was little, and I found it you know interesting. And um, and now you know here I am four decades later and I'm sort of picking up where he left off to try to you know put this all together. So you know, so my family does have, you know, some knowledge of of this group, and and, uh, I'm continuing to interview people. I've interviewed people that claim that they've they've come out of these secret societies, and they have very, you know, intimate, deep knowledge of what's, you know, going on behind the scenes, and it it is sort of mind-blowing to find out that, you know, the world, the way you think the world is, is not what it is at all, and, and, um, you know, there's these deep spiritual elements to, to everything, and so I guess that's, you know, that lend a little credence to, to what Paul was saying.
0: There we go. Amen. Well, that that's just incredible, guys. And I'm so glad that you were able to come on the show. And our listeners out there are so excited as well. Uh, why don't you give us some links and some things like that so we can find your work? Um, they can go to my website,
3: and then Troy can give out uh, his website. Um, I got lots of free articles and information on my website and YouTube's. It's PaulMaguire.us, uh all lowercase one word, and Maguire is M C G U I R E. So PaulMaguire.us, and they can get all kinds of articles and free information. Fantastic. And Troy?
4: Yeah, uh my my website's pretty similar. It's uh, Troyanderson.us. I've got a, a free uh, newsletter you can sign up for and there's all kinds of information on there about about myself and the babylon code and then there's also a, a dedicated page uh for the babylon code from our publisher faithwords it's com slash babylon code
0: wonderful all right guys we'll make sure to go out check out that work get the book and uh you know this is this is mainstream now so hallelujah for that you guys were really tremendous i mean i'm not just being polite this was this
3: is uh, uh I enjoyed this interview. I'd say it's in the top five that I've done. So
0: uh, hats off to both of you. Well, thank you so much. That means a lot, guys. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll, we'll have to have you back on here one of these days. Good talking to you both.
3: God bless you, brothers.
0: Wow! So there you go. I hope you guys like that. It is it is so encouraging to see this material getting traction in the mainstream. I I, I gotta say that's probably something I n- thought would never happen. Yeah,
1: and hopefully you know if the Lord uh, wills, we'll see full length feature film, The Babylon Code with with Tom Hanks, maybe not Tom Hanks, but somebody famous, uh-huh. you know, doing the whole. Looking for the Babylon code.
0: Yeah, we got We got to hit those guys up for jobs, man. Yeah,
1: we, maybe we just we should just be in it. Like we should be the main characters.
0: Yeah. Oh, Basil and Gons explore the Babylon theory or code. Yeah. Babylon code. Yeah. The greatest end times Bible mystery ever. Ever.
1: <laughs> the greatest ever ever.
0: It's just us running through ancient Babylon,
1: ah! kicking stuff over.
0: Getting chased by Nephilim for two hours, or I guess the Nephilim were later on, anyways. Yeah, that'll be fun. The
1: resurgence of the Nephilim, yeah, the giants, Gog and Magog. I
0: just, I just forgot we were recording for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we're just having problems, we were just fantasizing about being in a movie. Um, okay, so there you go, guys. So remember, please. Check it out. Go to iTunes. Leave a rating and review. It, it honestly is a huge help to us. Or if you'd like to help in another way, if the Lord's just like, you have $15 that you would like to help support the ministry of your choice, uh, Canary Cry Radio is a choice. And if you do sign up for $15, Uh, or more a month, you will get our awesome USB Archive project, tons of Canary Cry radio uh, episodes, content, music, art, all sorts of fun stuff. And, you know, once the grid goes down and we plunge into a Mad Max-type apocalyptic mess, uh, that'll survive. And you'll just have to find a computer to put it (laughs) into. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anything else, gons besides subscribing to face like the sun youtube channel and also the joy theory podcast on itunes
1: well there's the uh the joy theory and the face like the sun youtube channel
0: that's true that's <laughs> true so those are all things guys really honestly we got a we got a little network of of content going on oh, yeah, now we should
1: we should start the canary cry nest N- nest wood nest
0: nest work or nest work, yeah Oh, there's something. Uh, it's not good, but it's yeah, something.
1: Sounds terrible. It sounds terrible. Who's going to say, <laughs> who would have joined the Canary Cry Network?
0: I can name at least 10 people. They're all in my family, <laughs> but and
1: Two of them is of, one
0: person. Two of them are my conjoined twin cousins.
1: <laughs> you have conjoined twin cousins? Sure. Sure. <laughs>
0: Okay, we got to end this. All right. (laughs) Bye, guys. Make sure to tune in next time to Canary Cry Radio. But until then, all together now, think outside the cage.
1: Basil running away before he says something that gets him in trouble.
0: (laughs) My conjoined twin cousins are listening. They told me specifically not to mention it on the show, and I betrayed their trust. All right. Bye.